Well, I'm really excited for our conversation today. One of the things I'm really excited about getting into is this concept of resilience. What is resilience? And by the time we really start to get into the conversation of what resilience in is, we find out that resilience is tricky. And I think there are times when it comes to resilience and we can have this white knuckling approach where we just try to bear and get through life, you know, grit our way through life. But then we can't laugh when we need to. And then there's other times where maybe we're bearing so down so hard where we can't cry. And I think there are times where we need people to help us to laugh and we need sometimes people to help us to cry. Both are necessary in order to help us to become more resilient. And so I've got someone today that I think is really going to kind of expand this conversation around resilience. This is someone who has a lot of ministry experience, someone who has a lot of life experience. And again, when we when we talk about this concept of resilience, one of the things I think is so important is that we talk to people who have many different experiences across the spectrum. Without further ado, Patty, welcome to the channel, my sister. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Kyle. Absolutely. Well, the first thing I want to do is I want you to introduce yourself to people. A lot of people, a lot of listeners, you know who Patty is. Some of you don't know who Patty is, but I'm really excited. Tell us a little bit about your background and why you decided to begin writing content. Okay. It's really been fun. Todd and I um, had been in the ministry, had been in the ministry, gosh, probably 36 years or plus. And it had always been my dream. My degree's in journalism and I loved it. But the calling to go into the ministry was just too strong. And I've always loved writing and um, just enjoyed that. So and a, a few years back, the women were very part-time in Dallas. And so I worked as a humor columnist for a while. I thought that was one of the most fun things I had ever done. I would just sit at my computer and laugh all day. And it, it, there was no meaning to it. I mean, it was just silly stuff. And But I had so much fun with it. And then I went back full-time into the ministry and... But that always stayed in my mind. And so when we retired from the ministry this year, because of everything that was going on, um, I thought I'd start writing again. Actually, it was my son's idea. I'd never even heard of Substack. I probably shouldn't say that. But anyway, I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> and my son set me up. And at my age, understanding the technology has been even harder than writing mm. <laughs> posts. One of my neighbors helped me with it, get it all set up, or I probably still wouldn't be online. And, um, but it's just, I can't get over though. As I write about these things and come up with the humor and, and all that, it's just, I can't get over how healing it's been and how much it's helped me because we've had so much transition in the last couple of years. Absolutely. Yeah. And you had mentioned that uh, you and Todd were in the ministry. First of all, for those of you watching who have watched all of my content, if you go back, there was a video I did with Todd Asad, her husband, called Rebuilding Trust. And I think this would be a great time if you're watching to go back and and actually take a look at that because I think uh, it's an important conversation. I think especially right now, kind of where we're at in society, I think it's a timely, uh, a timeless conversation. But regardless, it's so cool. This is actually the first time, too, I will say that I've had someone's spouse. Uh, and so in terms of a, of a couple. So I'm really excited about that. Um, 
In terms of writing content, you'd mentioned Substack, and and it's fine that you didn't know about it before. Uh, most people don't even know about Patreon, which is how I get supported. So there's different, uh, you know, subscription platforms coming out all the time. So no big deal. Um, can you tell us a little bit about specifically the the uh, Substack uh, that you've been doing? Sure, it's at pattyassad.substack.com, and it's called What Just Happened. And it, it made me think, I was trying to figure out what to write about it. I mean, I wrote garbage for two months before I ever even wanted to show it to Todd. Even though I'd been a writer in the past, it was just, I was so rusty. I remember Todd was like, oh, well, this is a start. <laughs> and a friend of mine said, well, what I really find interesting is your life. Mm. And I thought, you know, that, that's true. God's teaching me so much. That's what I need to write about. And because we've, after all these years in the ministry, this is not what we expected at all. All of this, I mean, I thought we would just kind of slide into retirement, you know, slowly cut back on our responsibilities. But here we are in our 60s and I'm raising a baby with special needs mm. and careers and we're we're learning all kinds of things. I mean, at times it's been fun. At times I've been scared to death. It just depends on what's going on. And it's, uh, so that's why I decided to write about it. It's my journey as we go through these things. I am gonna start incorporating more interviews and things like that, but it's mainly, so far it's been about our journey. Well, that leads us to our next question. Uh, in this conversation is really kind of getting into some of the challenges that you've personally experienced. And I mean, you guys have been in ministry for a while, so we're going to, we're, I, I look forward to having a conversation a little bit more uh, later about specifically what are some ministry experiences, but in terms of your challenges and, and really helping others with going through really hard things, what are some things that you've been through or helped others overcome? You know, I think the biggest thing I didn't expect was when things got so hard have been all of the faith lessons I've needed to learn. I didn't realize how much my faith needed to deepen. Mm. And how it all began was probably about a year and a half ago when Charlotte first came to us. I was overwhelmed. Well, we were doing this thing with the church. We were supposed to come up with a list of 10 impossible prayers and pray for them. And it seemed like every you know midweek and in the fellowship, people are talking about their answered prayers. Mm. My 10, every single one of them got harder. It was like the opposite happened. Wow. And I, I know, you know God can say no and, and all that, but it really discouraged me and I knew I had to work through that and then things just kept getting harder and harder and I didn't know how to work through it there's I'm probably gonna slaughter this quote there's a quote by C.S. Lewis where he says you know we don't doubt that God wants what's best for us but we fear just how painful that best might be mm. and thought that is exactly how I feel. And I really, tr I even tried to research some of his works to see, well, what did he say was the solution? But it's taught me so much about my prayers. Um, 
because sometimes when something really bad has happened and it's been so hard, you know, Charlotte's had our granddaughter, you know, she was born with a um, heart defect mm. and she's had two open heart surgeries. We really thought the second time around they would be able to fix it and they couldn't. Mm. And they had to go with the least favorable option once they were in there doing the surgery. And that was really hard. And we had to bring her home on a feeding tube and wow. all these things. And I kept trying to work through all these things. I prayed that they wouldn't happen, but they did. And I had to work through that and figure out, okay, how do I still be faithful? Cause there were times, I mean, I'm ashamed of this, but there were times something awful would happen, but I was in such a hole. I would think, why bother to pray? Mm. And how I would work through it in the past was, you know, God is the prize of every prayer. It's all about my relationship with God. Mm. But when something bad would happen again, it would come right back out. Like we realized we just couldn't do the ministry anymore or um, we needed to do something else. Or when we found out Charlotte was... Uh, the, the PC term now is hard of hearing. I have trouble getting my mouth right. I keep wanting to say hearing impaired but, um, and we need hearing aids. And she, you know, it, it's affected her ability to communicate and all these things. And um, I just, I, I had to work through my issues all over again. But what, looking through the Bible, because I kept, I was getting obsessed with, okay, how do I know what prayers God will answer and not answer? And I don't, and I never will. I mean, that's just my character. I want intellectual satisfaction on everything. That's just not going to happen. And I finally realized in reading the book of Job and, and some other places, God doesn't answer those questions. Usually I'm asking the wrong questions. What God did was he, in Job, he showed Job his own character. I mean, God's mm. power. And, and that's really helped. I mean, I've learned to take my focus off these self-centered questions or mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, that might be too strong of a term, but just these questions I had, which I think it's fine to ask them, things like why. I can't think of a time in the Bible. There may be a time where God kind of explains, but usually he doesn't explain why. He shows us himself and his power. He helps us see how we're not able to understand it from our human vantage point and that helped, but then something else would happen and I would find myself back in that hole again. And finally, this is just a really new insight. I finally realized <laughs> he's so empathetic. Hmm. He understands me better than I do. Mm. Like this is what I needed. God's been working all through all this. Yep. But I would have thought, there's no I could do this. I have a chronic illness, too. And I thought, raising a baby at 60? No way. Especially one with wow. chronic, I mean, with my chronic illness, with her special needs, all those. I thought, there's no way. But the way God worked it out, we were already keeping her before we knew it was going to be long term. And there's no way then we were going to give her up. And so, you know, she's with us. We're raising her now and we love her and it's going well and we're figuring it out and we're navigating the um, world of the hard of hearing and all of these things. As, you're, if, as you are talking, I, I started to feel kind of inspired because, you know, 
you know, I'm raising, we have a four-year-old and an 18-month-old, and it's just interesting. It's like becoming a parent is like becoming an adult again in a different way, like becoming a grown-up. And I just think of everything you guys have shared, you know, uh, when I think of getting out of the ministry, that is a signature moment, transitioning out. You thought it was going to be one way. It was another. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte, I remember... When I met Todd, well, I met him before, but but we talked in 2021 at the end. So it was December of 2021. He told me about Charlotte. Yeah. And I immediately began praying for her. And then when I would talk to him again, I asked about Charlotte. And so she, I, I've never met her, but ironically has been on my heart, just kind of a soft spot for what you guys are going through. And then when I think of the additional challenge of hard of hearing, like, mm -hmm. Everything about what you're sharing, the learning curve is vertical. Yeah. <laughs> you're doing things you've never done before. And even if you've raised kids, which you have, you've never done it this way. And in your life, I almost kind of wonder how different your life looks uh, versus what you thought it would look like in your 60s. <laughs> yeah. If we put those next to one another, does your life look like you thought it would look? Or is it different? Oh, yeah. And that, that was one of the hard things in the beginning. Um, we were used to traveling all the time. We'd been empty nesters for probably about 10 years. We, um, and then all of a sudden, it all stops, and I'm home pretty much all day with a baby. Wow. And in the beginning, I was grieving my lifestyle change. I mean, just all the my freedom, my because I like to run around and do things, and there were so many aspects of that that were hard. And I loved Charlotte; that wasn't it. But there was, um, there were all these legal issues going on with her coming to us, and um, the child protective services. Okay, I don't know if I should say this, but they were torturing us. They have wow. to. I know dealing with difficult situations, but that made it a whole lot harder. In the beginning, probably at least 15 hours a week, because one time I counted that I, I was on the phone either dealing with that kind of stuff or doctor's appointments, talking to doctors, paperwork. I mean, it was mountains of paperwork. Mm. And that's not my wheelhouse. I, I, I'm I'm not a task-oriented, administrative-type person, but I needed to be for mm. all of this. And that was really hard. So I was grieving all of these things. But one thing, I knew I needed to get out of the hole I was in. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want Charlotte... Like, I felt like when our kids were growing up, we had a very joyful, happy household. I want Charlotte to have that. Wow. I don't wanted to grow up and be like Nani was always depressed and bitter because her life wasn't the way she wanted it to be. I knew I had to get to the place because it's the right thing to do in God's eyes, but I had to work through it for Charlotte too. Let me uh, let me just kind of switch to this idea of defining resilience because uh, everything we're talking about right now is kind of building to this concept of resilience. And let me define resilience this way. Resilience has two parts. Resilience is about resistance, right? So the ability to withstand um, mm -hmm. in, in some ways that some people would say the ability to take a beating and you know, life throws you mm -hmm. punches. 
And so we have resistance, but we also have vulnerability. So resilience isn't just about clinching and 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 white knuckling it. It there is a component of withstanding, but I think sometimes what can happen is is we can forget the other side of resilience, which is vulnerability. Vulnerability is the susceptibility to grace and assistance. And so as you think about your resiliency before you started going through some of these more recent transitions, could you help us to kind of understand how you defined resilience maybe before and then how you're maybe starting to take on a different understanding of it now? I see it more before I would have looked at it, like you said, of being strong, like a mighty oak or something. Now I, I probably see it more as water. <laughs> water is powerful. Water has to move and reshape. And, you know, with wherever it has to go, that's what water does. And um, in a minute, I do have a story about learning to be vulnerable. That didn't used to be my my strength. And, wow. Um, but, yeah, I've had to figure my life is so different from what I've always dreamed of but it's not necessarily bad. Wow. And because, yeah, I always wanted that Norman Rockwell traditional family. That's not how things have turned out. And I've had to learn to be happy with that. I mean, that is not the ultimate goal. The hmm. ultimate goal is bringing glory to God. And hmm. that, that had been my highest dream. And I, I realized I needed to let that one go. So that's what I mean about, water and this is so different from what i thought i mean sometimes i felt like you know here we are grandparents raising our grandchild mm -hmm. people automatically know something's not quite right there hmm. and i felt like we're flying a flag family dysfunction or something and i've just had to get over those things and be open about it like all right you want to hear my vulnerability story now? please like okay. i'd love to hear it this is the second time we've been out of the ministry. Back in the 90s, we'd gotten out of the ministry. We'd been in Chicago and gotten out of the ministry there and moved to tech through a series of events, lots of reasons. And I was miserable in the beginning because I just didn't know where to put it all in my heart. Hmm. And some things had been said that I wasn't real happy about. And I just kept trying to work, wrestle through my emotions with, with everything that had happened. And one thing over the years, when I was young, people always used to say to me, Patty, we feel like we don't know you. Mm. And, Patty, you're not vulnerable. And I would think, but I'm so open. How can you not know? Well, I, looking back on it, I mean, I wanted to please God. So, so if I, if something violated my conscience, if I felt like I'd say, I'd be real open about that. I just didn't know how to be open about my feelings. Mm. And as I tried to work through all my issues with us getting out of the ministry and moving, and I was really sick at the time too. Um, I finally, I was so desperate. Desperation has helped me a lot over the years. It's made me take actions I wouldn't normally take there's a whole I, I do have a whole post on that um, i saw that one i saw that one yeah and i desperately called up a friend. i can't even remember it. for the typical person this would not be a big deal 
But I called her up and said, I'm so depressed. I don't even know what to do. <laughs> and I was talking about, I don't know my role anymore. I don't really know who I am. And after getting out of the ministry, because it had been my dream before I even met Todd. I was in the ministry before we met. And I just didn't know what to do with it all. And I remember us having all these emotional talks. I said, she didn't remember it at all. But <laughs> this was a big deal for me. And at that point, I learned how to be vulnerable. And here, people tried to help me before, but it just, I didn't get it. I wanted to, mm. but I just didn't. And it was all I could talk about for probably two years because I learned things in the past had just stayed in my heart and festered. And once I learned to be open and just get everything out, it all went away. My mm. joy level went from down here to up here. And that was, I look at that as a defining moment for me. I wish I'd learned it easy, sooner, but because I'd been a, a Christian, oh gosh, by that time, I was 18 when I became a Christian. I was in my early 30s by this point. Hmm. It took me that long to learn it, but I'm glad I did. Let's go back to something you just said, I think is very important. Openness versus being vulnerable. And mm -hmm. I, I think the difference between the two, I'm really glad you're bringing this up because I'm sort of processing this as you're saying it. I think openness is talking about something, right? I'm, I'm, and, and it can be sanitized, right? Okay, this is what happened. It's in the past. And we talk about it. We describe it. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a difference, though, between talking about something versus talking from it. Talking mm -hmm. from it to me is I don't got this figured out. I don't know what the next right move is. I don't know how to just get my heart there. Maybe it yeah. doesn't always work out like that. Yeah. And I think when we're vulnerable, we're sharing a less sanitized, developed version. We're, set, we're sharing a process versus an event. And I think yeah. some of us that want to maintain sort of this propped up version of ourselves we do, and at times for myself, struggle to be vulnerable. You know, again, mm -hmm. vulnerability is a susceptibility to grace and assistance. In other words, I'm not perfect and I can't do it all by myself. I think of being in a ministry scenario for a long time, I think being vulnerable would be really hard. I think in some ways, being in the ministry would be a place where we feel like we have to put up this affront mm -hmm. or this at times facade of, I've got it. I've got it under control. I've got the answers or I've got the, the, you know, a stairway out of this. And when we look in scripture to your point, Job, the Psalms, all throughout mm -hmm. lament text, we see over and over and over some of the most powerful figures in scripture. Don't got this. Yeah. Don't know how to figure it out. No, no. When God is going to make it right. Don't understand why they're going through it. Yeah. And so it just feels like many years into our Christianity, we're still going through conversions <laughs> and another oh. conversion and another conversion. And so has that been something you've also seen? Oh, yeah. Every time something has happened, it's just rocked my world. It seems like I have to work through all these issues I was talking about earlier, my faith issues, my lack of mm -hmm. trust in God, my mm -hmm. fear. I've had to work through it all over again. 
Wow. And because it would just hit a wave of it. Cause I remember when we were, this was just, this was in April. We're sitting in the doctor's office. I had prayed so hard. Charlotte would not be hearing impaired. I mean, she, I just felt like that poor little girl does not need one more thing mm-hmm. and with her heart conditions. I mean, she already doesn't have a lot of stamina and you wouldn't know that from watching her, her blood oxygen level is never to normal. You know, it's mm-hmm. supposed to be nine or above hers is usually in the, the mid eighties. And with what the procedure they had to do on her this last time. And um, she just doesn't need this. And so when they told me that my first thought was, and this is bad but was why well, bother to pray and i knew i had to work through it because i'd prayed i had everybody i know praying about it and still she was you know hard of hearing and you know we're going to get um hearing aids and you know learning some more signs all that sort of stuff and it was just overwhelming but that time i worked through it quicker I was really down for about two days. It really helped because I remember learning to be vulnerable because one of my friends called, well, how are you doing today? I'm like, bad. <laughs> She's like, well, thank you for telling me. <laughs> Try not to be Debbie Downer, but it does help just getting it out. And um, even going back to the situation where we got out of the ministry the first time, I, I mentioned that some things were said I wasn't real happy about. Well, I think yeah. looking back on it, I think it's because no one knew us wow. because we weren't vulnerable. I don't think some of those things would have been said. The things that bothered me the most, if we had known how to be vulnerable at that point in our lives, and we just didn't. Okay, so that was so. profound. That that was absolute. <laughs> Patty, seriously, I got to pause on that. That sometimes people say things because they don't know us. And part of the issue is, is we are in the process of develop. We, we need an awakening to our own humanity. And, yeah. and, and what's interesting, I mean, again, this, you know, we can't help someone else do something if we aren't willing to go there ourselves. And yeah. so I, I just think even in building resilience with other people, I think that that we have to be candidates first. <laughs> we have to yeah. be willing to acknowledge, wow, I like, so for instance, with me, um, I really like that idea of, 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 can you really put yourself out there? And, and one of the things I think is so necessary, Patty, in being vulnerable is we need safety. In other words, you don't really know what someone is thinking until they feel safe. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I think that in the course of you, becoming more aware of this incredible aspect of you. I mean, it's a very beautiful part of you. The vulnerable part of us is beautiful. We need people in our lives that do help us to feel safe without, I mean, you don't have to say who or whatever, but what's that been like for you in terms of how to get some of those friends? Because I think there's a lot of people, they want to come out of their shell, but they want to find the right people to help help with that. Oh, this is funny, but this is going to be this week's post. I'm talking about feeling alone in hardships. Wow. And that's not what it's called at all. It's something about bunny ears. And when you read the thing, you'll understand. But uh, <laughs> my, I have friends that have just been wonderful. And I have learned so much now on how to help other people when they're really hurting. Because I have one friend in particular Kristen, you know her, and she 
you know, sometimes I think when someone's going through, you think, oh, I don't want to bother them and I don't want to, you know, I might be in the way or I felt that at times, you know, I I get fearful and think I'm just going to make it worse. No matter what I'm going through, Kristen's kind of marching over here Mm -hmm. and a friend. And I thought that's how I want to be to people in the future. And that's what I've been trying to figure out on how I can help people more. I am so limited right now with time and energy, with everything going with Charlotte. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just last week she got kicked out of her program because she's biting so much. And I think mm-hmm. it's because she's frustrated because she can't talk yet. Yeah. And that that um, put, put a whole new wrench in our schedules. I'm trying to figure out how to get everything done with Charlotte here all day. I'm trying to work with her more on one-on-one with, and she's getting all kinds of therapy therapy you know therapists are coming over multiple times each week and and all that but i've been trying to figure it out and how i can be there and for uh, still i can still do things like you were asking how i help other people with their challenges mm-hmm. what i'm thinking now is listening more mm. i've always tried to do that but listen and understand like recently i talked to a mom who was at home with her son who was severely disabled for decades and he's since passed but we were talking she goes she had kind of a a genetic syndrome that caused all these issues and um it was called factor x i've never even heard of that and she goes i loved it when people asked me questions about that and i think sometimes we're afraid we're afraid people are going to be offended when really they want to talk about it and I want to get in there and I can always apologize if I'm too nosy because I can be, I know I can. <laughs> it's a journalist in me. I love going in there for the jugular. And if I'm too much, I can back off and apologize. And I think most of the time, even as nosy I can, as I can be, I've erred on the other side and I want to get it with, because that's one of the things, even though, I'm in a happy marriage. I've supported friends and family and everyone's doing the best. I can. There are times I felt alone in this and that has surprised me. And again, that's what this week's post is about, but I've learned what help, what, what helps me and what doesn't like, I want to make sure that unless I do it jokingly, I never say another platitude to somebody. Wow. Cause what there you go. me, which I mean, I've said them all. And thought they were really okay if I say them to myself when I'm ready to hear it. But when someone else, when I'm stressed out and someone else is saying, well, let go and let God pay. I mean, it just, it makes me feel more alone. I mean, because it makes me feel a bit misunderstood or Mm -hmm. pressured to get to a place where I'm just not there yet. And, you know, to skip the process and be faithful when I have a few more faith issues to work through in the Mm. meantime. But I've said them all. I mean, I'm not down on anybody. Or the other thing I've done wrong is I try to look for the silver lining in whatever Mm -hmm. they're going through. That doesn't help anybody. It just, again, I think it makes people feel more alone because that's how I've felt. Well, I think what you're sharing with leads very well into the next question. And I think that, so one of the things I love about ministry, I've never been in the full-time ministry, gotten paid by a church, led a church. I've interned for different churches before. I work in ministry as a, you know, 
more broadly as, as someone who teaches now and, and content. And so I'm constantly ministering. That being said, I think that ministry is an incredible, it provides an incredible education. Um, because you're you're with people all the time. When I look in scripture, I see Jesus being with people. His disciples were with people constantly. And so there is a an expertise that someone in the ministry develops because you've had a lot more people hours. And so even like when you say platitudes are not appropriate in in, mm-hmm. in so many words, I I really think that you found that out because you've you've sat with people for thousands of hours. When you talk about people not just being able to fast track themselves to a great space spiritually, or I'm at peace with this, there's a lot of hours behind that comment. When you think of having to live vulnerably in front of thousands of people that you're leading, or even realize I haven't been you know, serving vulnerably or whatever, there's an awakening that happens. Again, you've had thousands of hours at this. You and Todd have served so many people. I remember when I was a baby Christian, I became a Christian at 18 as well. And I remember you guys, because I went down to Thousand Oaks Ranch and Texas and, and yeah, oh yeah, bring it back. Let's get it. And so, um, but there's many, 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 many interactions that have led you to, you know, even some of your throwaway comments on your blogs. Like, there's a lot that goes into the statements you're now able to make, which is why I'm so excited to have you. And I love engaging the older generation because there's so many people hours behind uh, the perspective that you have. And so um, let me ask you this. Um, not that we can do this, but if we had to take the maturity and the understanding that you have now and we could somehow implement that into your ministry approach in the past, or even with the next generation, what are some things that you would like to encourage people ministering or that you've learned in ministry as they are helping people become more resilient? Big question. I know big, huge question, but what are some things that you'd like to maybe get us to, uh, maybe understand? I think when I look back over all the years we were in the ministry, I think one of the first things I had to learn was quit jumping in there and trying to fix people. <laughs> that was what, I mean, that's what we feel like we're paid to do in the ministry. We're not, but wow. that it's how we can mm. feel. Yeah. And that I had to learn to listen. Wow. And now, I, I mean, I always tried to be compassionate, but I think now I, I would even do it differently now, just based on my experiences the last couple of years. Those are so for, in the forefront of my brain. It's hard for me to think through, okay, what did I learn before? <laughs> because I, I'm thinking about just how that, that, that's what I'm talking about, how I felt alone. And I, felt, I thought, who else around me is feeling that? Since wow. I am so limited right now, I want to make sure in the fellowship or I'm making phone calls, at least texts, if I'm really busy or something, but I'm finding out how the people in my sphere are doing and I'm de- asking deep questions mm. and letting them talk and so they don't feel like nobody understands. And I don't know why, I think probably every, maybe it's just me or maybe everybody's wired this way, but. I can take a whole lot more if I just feel like somebody understands. Mm. 
and it makes me a lot more resilient. And, and that's what I want to grow in. I mean, I tried to do that, you know, in the ministry before, but it's just underlined it in, in my mind with everything we've gone through recently. Well, it, it's almost like, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, so now you guys have a lot of experiences that are just really close to the chest and really close to home, very vulnerable, delicate, complex situations like your daughter. That's a very delicate and complex situation. What I'm finding is I've started to get into this space and minister. That's exactly what people identify with. That's exactly what they can connect with. And I think what happens is, is people don't realize that ministry people, right? They go through life in the same waves as everyone else. They're human. And I noticed that there are people who it's kind of like once in power, always in power, or once a minister, always a minister. It's like the reality is, is that minister, I've counseled, I've counseled ministers professionally. Mm -hmm. They are people and things hit just as hard. And I think there can be a delayed or sort of offset reaction because there's years and years of not necessarily being able to be your, like use your face that you you really have that's discouraged. We're using our real self um, because professionally we have a responsibility. And I, I think what's kind of cool is now this is a great season for people to get to know you. <laughs> this is a great, <laughs> I'm serious, it's a great opportunity because with your sub stack, um, but also in terms of just you guys' life stage, you guys are in you guys are in the in the soup just like everybody else. Yeah. Um, you guys are going into transitional phase like a lot of other people. And so I would love for people to see you guys as people, number one, and just humans who are trying to figure it out too. And oh, by the way, just because you guys were in the ministry for a ton of years doesn't mean you guys have answers to all this. There's stuff you guys are trying to figure out week by week too. And I just think that's so cool. And the ability to admit that this is why I think Brene Brown has been so popular. The ability to say, I'm not okay, yeah. makes us more resilient the moment we're able to do that. We become more well, resilient. Think, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt Go, you. go, go ahead. Um, go ahead, please. Yeah, I think it was never a conscious thing. Because since I learned to be vulnerable, I've had a group or, you know, I just call them my posse or whatever around yeah. me. Yeah. I was totally open with. I mean, yeah. it was kind of a joke. It's like, I know everything there is to know about Patty Asad. <laughs> I'd be very <laughs> open with them. But I think where I go wrong is I, in my heart, I am a duty bound soldier. Mm. And I would just keep going no matter what, because it was my duty. I mean, mm. I, you know, I was a, a women's minister, I needed to do this and do that. And if I didn't feel like doing it, that was just too bad. I'm a duty bound soldier. And I think I, it's really funny. I, I joke around that denial is my um, superpower because I am really <laughs> good at doing denial on what I can handle and not handle. And recently, it's really funny. I do have a saved post about this. I'll pull out at some time. That's Please, the title. Yeah. Superpower. But Todd and I were in the kitchen, and I was just to get a friend who knows me so well 
was saying, Patty, you know, don't you think you're kind of into that? I can't remember what she was saying about denial. And, uh, and I've never looked at it that way. And I thought, yeah, I, I, I guess so. And I came home and I asked Todd and I was like, do you think everyone else can see I'm in denial about my health issues and what I can handle? He just stood there and giggled like a little girl at a slumber party. I mean, he, <laughs> he was laughing so hard because he's like, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's part of it is I just haven't been it with some of those things. If I felt like it was my duty I wouldn't even admit to myself how hard it was or that maybe I couldn't do this or maybe it wasn't best that I did it, that type of thing. So, so there's two things that are sort of being summoned as you as you were saying that. Number one, I think that, you know, what, one of the things Jesus says in the context of following him is that you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And mm-hmm. in the context of what when he's he's saying this in the passion narrative, so to speak, is that we all have different commitments that we come to the table with, whether it be our family, our country, um, whether it be our passions, whatever it is. And what he is saying is, is that this is something that you're not going to be able to serve two masters, so to speak. What I don't hear and deny yourself and take up your cross is to become emotionally detached and avoidant. And I think that, and I don't know what culture sort of, uh, you know, made this sort of even more, but denying yourself is not necessarily saying don't acknowledge your feelings. And we have many scriptures. I mean, we think about Job and the Psalms and, and Lamentations and on and on. I just think of the ability for you with your posse, you are open, but over time you learn to be vulnerable. And this is the second point, I think. So not only do we have to be careful not to get certain scriptures and and take them in a way that suppresses our emotions because that's not healthy i think second of all god is very patient i think about how patient god has been with all of us that let's just say that there are certain things that we would say we need to repent of like that he's been working on for 20 years in a person's heart and character How, how how patient does god have to be so that we change. And it's like, sometimes when we make changes, they are short-lived or potentially on the surface. And then the Lord just kind of patiently works with us. He's a shepherd. He's so good. He's so patient. He's so loving. I think even the rich young ruler, it says that Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and it said that he loved him, right? He loved him. And so I'm just wondering when it comes to you know, what you've learned about God's character and, and so forth, how loving and patient. What have you noticed about God's character over the last, I don't know, however many years of being in ministry and being a Christian? I think I'm so much more aware of his love, his empathy, his patience, those qualities more so than I was years ago. I mean, that's probably been the thing that grows the most. Like when I said, everyone mm-hmm. has to be understood. And I knew God understood me, but that that concept I've really had to grow in to realize just how empathetic it he understands me better than I understand myself. He that. knew I needed and could raise my granddaughter. He knew, you know, he knew all of this. 
And you know how much fun Todd and I are finding it that when she giggles, we're like, it's all worth it. Mm. And understanding that. But I think that's probably the biggest thing is just uh, growing up. I just had a harsh view of God. I looked at it like, sure, he loved me. But when I messed up, he was not happy with me. He was going to throw down those lightning bolts. I'd grown past that, you know, probably in my early 20s. But I still, I don't think I understood the depth of how patient he is with us. Wow. And that's what's really helped me just relax. Like, this is kind of a victory story. When Charlotte got kicked out of her program, Last week, I didn't freak out. I mean, Todd even looked at me and goes, you're handling this really well. But he kind of tone of surprise in his voice. <laughs> and God has taught me so much over the last few months with everything that's happened. And I remember what began the journey with all this, of course, becoming a Christian. But when I first got sick with lupus, mm. I felt like I was only 21. Wow. And... I felt like my life was over and I felt like in my head, I knew God didn't stop loving us, but in my heart, I felt like he had. Mm. I also had a a boyfriend that dumped me at the time over it all. And that's not what he would have said, but that's how I took it. And it seems like a blessing now after 36 years of marriage with Todd, but (laughs) at the time it hurt and I was just down and I knew that it was so good for me. I'd gone to stay with my parents for a few weeks because I was so sick I couldn't work. And I, I, the only phone we had was in the kitchen with the long cord. I really didn't have, this was in the early 80s, I didn't have a place where I could go call and talk to my friends and all that. And my parents were having a hard time with my diagnosis too. And so I knew I had to work it out with God. And that was when I read and I read and I read. I realized I had been reading so shallowly for so many years and taking it all wrong. Like there's this passage in in Judges 10 where God had to punish. They just weren't learning their lesson. They were still in massive idolatry and, and just sin and all this. And God let another nation come in and conquer them. And, but then at one point in that chapter, it goes, and God could, couldn't bear their misery any longer. And that mm. is such a small point, but that revolutionized how I, I viewed God. And this was in my early 20s, but I had, I've had to grow in that. That's been my thing recently, even, uh, of what I've been growing and learning is just about God's love, his mercy, his patience his understanding of me and what I need. That's why I can trust him. Not because I know what prayers he's going to answer and what ones he won't. Boom. It's because he, he's so empathetic. He understands me. He gets it better than I do. And all of those things. I, I love what you just said. You've dropped a couple of times um, that, that you trust God because of who he is not necessarily what prayers get answered the way you think or hoped. You still trust who he is. I love what you said at the beginning of this, which is God is the prize. Um, Mm -hmm. I I believe that God wants to reveal himself. Mm -hmm. And I also think he wants to be pursued. Yes. And so he wants to reveal himself. 
and he will, and he does, he wants to be pursued. And I'm, I'm realizing that sometimes when we pursue him, we're, we're looking for something that, that, that he's trying to redirect our attention. Hey, I want you to prize this. I want, I want you to get this. And I think even in the book of Job, you know, it's interesting. Job's friends, they, you know, they defended, defended God for no reason, of course. But yes. Job never got an answer. Right. He never, he never got an answer. And yet, who God is in terms of his character was made known. And I, yes. I'll go back to what you said earlier, which is really convicting, which was um, this idea that we know that God wants what's best. We fear what that actually looks like. Um, <laughs> yes. And so I, you, you've just, I just want to say you have, you've, you've blessed us so much. Let me, let me, let me ask one last question that, that wasn't on the, on the thing, but I, I really want to ask you about this. Um, Pretty much every podcast now, I'm making some space to talk about the next generation. Um, uh-huh. You and I, you and I are not the future. Right. Charlotte, my kids, they're the future, not us. Mm-hmm. And so I think that one of the things that has really affected the resilience of many parents is what happens with their kids. And and I I think that there's nothing more discouraging or challenging than when our kids are struggling in some way. It defines us as parents sometimes. It it can paralyze a parent. Um, I'm learning as a father of two now, young parents uh, with young kids is control is a really big deal for me. I, I thought, no, I, I, I mean, I wanna protect my kids. There's a fine line between protect and control. <laughs> and so, I'm just, and then of course, Patty, I mean, the reality is this, we became Christians. Our dreams for our kids were that, that they would become Christians, but we have to face the reality that that's not always what happens. And I know that a lot of people had this dream or that, you know, but I think what's been really hard for people to reconcile is that it, it, it's been challenging. And so what encouragement, I really want to just dig deep here a little bit and give some life-giving encouragement and love and compassion, you know, to, to people who have more complex situations, right? They, they, they go to church and it's not just, oh, the kids are good and, you know, everyone's doing great. Um, that's not everybody. Right. <laughs> it's not. And I, it's it's interesting, and I'll just say this, Matina Montez came on, and I've had her on twice, talking about kids in the church. And you know, what's interesting is what kids need more than anything is that they need to know that they belong, that belonging comes before behavior. And so that belonging, that belonging is essential. And I think that it's an important thing for us to address, really, uh, at this season of 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 you know, where a lot of churches are is this idea that there's this disconnect. So anyway, can you give some encouragement to parents who are maybe feeling a bit disillusioned or who just maybe feel disoriented and confused? Oh, I've felt all of those things. I mean, like I keep saying, there've been times I've been in such a hole and had to work through it with all the hard things going on. But, um, 
I don't, I don't have any specifics other than for me, I've had to fight to just work through my own issues, keep growing my faith and loving God, no matter what. Mm. And I want my kids to see that. I think they mm. do. Uh, we still, we have a great relationship and that that's the most important. I feel like God will reveal the rest. Yeah. That I think, you know, I've had to get for those around, get to the point of being joyful again when it was Mm. hard. And it it all goes back to all the things I've learned about my relationship with God. Because of the things I've learned now, I wouldn't even want to go back to 10 years ago when life was simpler. It's better now because I am closer to God. I'm more resilient, I guess, because I understand God better. And I'll probably say the same thing 20 years from now. Um, so that w- that's just the main thing I can think of is just keep doing whatever it takes to love God and work through those deep fear issues we don't even know we have or deep faith issues. Well, what you're saying actually I think does kind of answer the question a little bit, which is that our kids have an opportunity to see us be faithful and but also hopeful. I did an interview with a woman who teaches at a university, and one of the things she's noticed about the next generation um, is she says that they really, the next generation in some ways is is lost hope. They don't, it's hard for them to dream. Mm -hmm. And, and so maybe it's, it's hard for us at times to look at the next generation as hopeless, but they are struggling to be hopeful. And what I'm hearing you say to some degree is that, is that we mature that we really enflesh this, like we, we love God and that we enflesh discipleship and, and, and resilience that in some ways our kids, we, we become a witness to them and that's our part. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily putting our, our beliefs in their, in their minds and that, that it's going to just go that way. They're going to watch us live this out. And that doesn't just mean believe the right thing. It means be hopeful that we yes. become hope merchants to the next generation. They, they have to see that and they can tell when we're not Patty. Like that's the thing. Your kids know the truth. <laughs> Our kids know the truth. They really do. Yeah, they do. And so we don't, we're not going to, we're not going to fool them. Um, mm-hmm. And so what I love that you're saying is, is authentically getting to a place of hope, not manufacturing hope, not manufacturing perseverance, but you have become more hopeful, not necessarily because your prayers were answered, but because God has developed you. He's developed your character and you become more hopeful as a result of that. And now your ability, capacity for hope is enlarged. Why would you want to go back? (laughs) That's almost kind of what I'm sensing is. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I love your comments about hope. I hadn't heard it put that way. You know, I was talking about asking more questions. Boy, do I have something to talk to the young people about at church on Sunday. <laughs> you know, so some questions I could ask that might be helpful. Who knows? So tell us a little bit about, we're going to get ready to uh, wrap this up, but I want to. I want us to, um, I want you to give us a little bit of a uh, an understanding of the Substack and just kind of like, People can go there and there's different blogs that you've written. Some of them are free. Most of them are paid, like you have to pay for it a little bit. 
Um, but can you just share a little bit about kind of what you're doing with that and kind of sure. what, yeah, some themes. Well, I wanted to use what we're going through. I mean, I felt like I'm learning all these lessons and I, I wanted to put them out there. And it's so healing for me because I have to think harder and I tend to avoid that. <laughs> I mean, I'm always written my prayers. I mean, I'm so ADD. I have to type them on the computer. I can't stay focused. And um, it has helped me. This is what's helped me work through my deeper faith issues because it makes me think so hard because I'm getting it ready for publication. But um, so it's been wonderful. But um, you go to um, Patty Assad. And P-T-T-Y-A-S-A-A-D at Substack.com. And some of them are, are, I think actually the majority still are for free subscribers. There's a lot you okay. can look at without having to pay. But you put your email in and you can say undecided for right now or something like that. And then you press subscribe. So then you'd be a free subscriber. But then when the paid posts come out, um, then the half of that or three quarters of that is usually behind a paywall. So that's how that works. And sure. it's just $5 a month or 54 for the year. Oh. So it, it's not a huge output, but yeah, it's my part-time job now. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and so that, that helps too. That's part of what I'm doing. I look forward to letting people know about it. I will make sure all of that hits the description on YouTube and podcast. Patty, thank you for joining us today. I want to tell you what I tell all my guests. We are with you and God is for you, my sister. Thank you for making time for us today. Well, thank you, Kyle. It's been great getting to talk with you.